book of Ephesians. So if you'll turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 5, we're going to cover verses 21 through 24. If you need a Bible to read with us, study God's Word with us, um, just raise your hand and Jerry will be happy to slip you a Bible. We're not going to get too far this morning. We've been taking our time going through the book of Ephesians, if you've been with us um, on Sunday mornings, doing a verse-by-verse study. And as we've been traveling through this section of Ephesians, which includes chapters 4, 5, and 6, remember that the Apostle Paul, he's in prison, he's in Rome, writing to you and to me. And keep in mind that this letter was inspired by God. So remember that this is God speaking to you and to me. And this section began with the exhortation, chapter 4, verse 1, to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Again, if you've been with us in our study of the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians divides up very nicely into two sections, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, the blessings that are found in Christ as Paul takes us up into the heavenlies. This is what Christ has done for you. And these are the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. They come from him. He has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings as Paul opens up the epistle in the heavenlies. We have been chosen. We've been adopted. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. Uh, We have an eternal inheritance. He has rescued us because we were spiritually dead. He has made us alive. And we are his workmanship. And we are a part of this wonderful thing that's a holy temple unto God, a living temple, and that is the church. And so Paul telling us of all the wonderful blessings that you and I have as Christians, again, chapters 1, 2, and 3, now chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is how you live for Christ. And in chapter 4, we saw the first part of the chapter in the first 17 verses that we were instructed that we are to walk in unity. We are part of this thing, the church, this holy temple unto God, as I mentioned to you, and we are to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then in verses 17 through 32, we're told to walk in purity. In other words, you and I, as we live for Christ, we're to put off the old man. Jesus is not just added to our old life. The old life is dead, right? Put it off. We're new in Christ. We have a newness of life, a new beginning. We are born again by the Spirit of God, and we are to walk in that newness, um, the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then chapter 5 began by us, you and I, being instructed, be imitators of Christ. Walk in love, verses 1 through 7. And then you are to walk in light, verses 8 through 14. And then as we finished last week, we are instructed to walk in wisdom, verses 15 through 20. So very important words for you and for me to, to redeem the time, as Paul told us, because the days are evil. To walk not as fools, but wise, circumspectly, carefully, uh, watching, paying attention spiritually. And now as we continue in chapter 5 and travel into chapter 6, we're going to be told how it is that we walk in harmony. But first, Father, we come to you, and we desire as we start this new section in the book of Ephesians to be attentive to the things that you want to say to us through your word. And Lord, to remember that these words are coming from you, and they are God-breathed. And we want to pay attention. We want to be still in our seats. We want to have our ears open and our hearts that are teachable. And as we talk about a very, very important subject, as we talk about the marriage relationship, 
we know that there's all kinds of voices that are out there, all kinds of opinions and definition on marriage. And Lord, we want to hear what you have to say because you're the one that ordained marriage. And Lord, that this would be something that would bless every marriage that is here or for those who someday will get married. And Lord, we desire right now to just be humbled before you and desiring to learn from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're to walk in harmony. Um, and we're going to see that in the rest of chapter 5 here as we begin in, in verse 21 and go through chapter 6, we're going to be told how it is that we walk in harmony with your spouse and in harmony with your children, in hum, harmony with the boss at work. And, and we're going to see how it is that we can walk in harmony in very practical ways. And then we're going to see that the apostle is going to sum up this letter by telling us to walk in victory, armed, putting on the whole armor of God, doing battle with the enemy, not fighting for victory, but fighting from victory. So let's pick up our text this morning as we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So we are going to be talking about marriage today. Not only today, we're going to take our time going through this section, just as we've been taking our time going through uh, particularly these chapters of how to live for Christ, because I think it's so important for us today. There's, there's so many uh, temptations and, and things that are out there that will pull us away from a desire to walk with the Lord and, and a desire to live for Him. And so taking our time going through it, considering these things, we're going to talk about a subject that is very important for us, isn't it? And that is about the marriage and the role and the responsibility of the husband and of the wife. And as we read this section on marriage and Christ and the church, especially the next three verses, that is verses 22 through 24, verse 21 has to be discussed and considered very carefully and I believe that all of us that are married, or someday you will be married, uh, I pray that none of you are, are thinking, oh, we're going to talk about marriage today. I'm not married, and I could have slept in today. I could have stayed home, you know, and, and taken it easy. Hey, some of you, someday you might get married. Or you might be able to, some of you who have been married for a very long time. I know that there's a couple here that's been married for over 60 years, and there's a couple here that's nearing 50 years of marriage, and some of you have been married for a number of years, 30 years, 25 years. Sue and I celebrated our 25th anniversary this year, but we can always, you know, learn from the Lord what He's saying, applying these things in a deeper way, and we can also use it to minister to others that we have opportunity to minister to. So I pray that all of us are blessed here today as we look at this very carefully at this section. And I know that these are uh, you know, words and these are uh, scripture that I've given to a lot of you as uh, perhaps you come in for premarital counseling or at other times as we talk about marriage. And, and I pray again that as we look at this, that we would say, Lord, I want you to just help me apply these things in my life in a deeper uh, way, in a more godly way as we look at this once again, to help my understanding be, be deepened in the things concerning marriage. And I know that as we do, that we're going to also be blessed as married couples and those who someday will get married, 
but for all of us who are ministering to others. And if we are going to have harmony with our spouse or with our children or with our employer, others in life, there needs to be, verse 21 here, applied in our lives, there needs to be a submitting to one another in the fear of God. And that is so critical. That is so important. You see, oftentimes verse 21 gets left out when it's the discussion of marriage or the topic of marriage comes up, that I think that 99% of pastors start at verse 22. And I want us to back up and just consider verse 21 because as you follow the flow of what the Apostle Paul is writing, chapter 4, as I mentioned to you, put off the old man, put on the new man. You're no longer to, to walk after the former lust. You're a new creature in Christ. Put on those things that are pleasing to Christ. And chapter 5, as he continues, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love. Not as the world defines love, because the world's definition of love is really lust. Uh, don't be involved with uncleanness, fornication, sexual sin of any kind. You're to walk in light, have nothing to do, have fellowship with the works of darkness and walk in wisdom. Be filled with the Spirit, and as you do, then you will speak to one another with a heart of joy, a song, having thanksgiving, as we ended last week in verses 19 and 20. Just uh, having a heart of gratitude. And then verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In other words, a Spirit-filled Christian is going to have a heart of humility. You see, Paul will now in the following verses tell us how it is that we are to submit to one another. There is order that God gives in the home and in the workplace and in the church. But I believe that Paul is giving God's heart on submission here. You see, our Lord taught that the greatest is not one that lords over. Remember the disciples were always arguing about who's the greatest. It started up in the Galilee region, and they said, you know, who's the greatest? And Jesus used a child as an illustration. One who comes in childlike faith is great and receives one of these little ones is great in the kingdom of God. Jesus told them, you're not the Lord over. That, that's Gentile stuff. But if you want to be great, you'll be the servant of all. And then that discussion, that argument among the disciples continued clear up until the time of when Jesus was having dinner with them for the last time in that upper room. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus demonstrated who the greatest is as he would wash the disciples' feet. You be the servant of all. You love others is what he was taught and teaching them. And that's what we are to be taken heed to as well, that we're not ones that just lord over or, or have an authority or headship. Uh, it means that we throw our weight around at others' expense. It is not self-seeking, and it's what I want when I want it, but rather it is that you and I are submitting in the fear of God. It is what God, what God wants, and it is leading in a way of humility Having any authority that is given to us by God means that we are other-centered. You use your authority not to tear people down, but to build them up. You're looking out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others and esteem others more important than ourselves. That's what he writes in the other prison epistle that we'll look at when we get to the book of Philippians. 
And what we are to do is that we're to have others in mind as you desire for them to do well in the things of the Lord and in life. It is not, I am better than you, I'm more superior than you, I am greater than you. But rather having that heart of humility and a reverence to God to please Him in my action towards others. You see, I have headship, I have authority, spiritual authority as the senior pastor of this church, but that does not mean that I'm greater than anybody else. It does not mean that I'm greater, that God loves me more than, than you. It means that I am to humble myself. And what it means is I am to be the servant of all, that I am to, to serve you in love and in truth and to be humble before God and to serve in the fear of God. And then another point that I'd like to make, and I pray that we would really pray about this in our lives. And I pray that I can articulate it well enough to express what I believe is so critical, and I'm already touching on it. But I have done hundreds of hours of counseling when it comes to Christians and different issues, when it comes to marriage, whatever it might be. And I know this, to have a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship with others then there needs to be what we have been talking about over the last couple weeks being applied in our lives and worked out in our lives. And that means, again, putting off the old and putting on the new. You see, if you're not putting off the old and you're not putting on the new and you're not walking in love and walking in the light, walking in wisdom, if you're not desiring to do that, or have the Lord work that out in your life in the fear of God, then this is going to be very difficult to apply in your life, what we're going to be talking about today, next week, and the next few weeks. Roles as husbands and wives, roles in the family, children to parents, roles as, as employer-employee is going to be so hard. And I know that as I have talked to people, I have talked to them and counseled them hour after hour, and if there is not a desire to be submitted to the Lord and humbled before the Lord, I can talk to them till I'm blue in the face. And it won't do any good. We are to walk in that newness of life. We are to be walking in love and desire to please the Lord and to trust the Lord in what His Word has to say. And if you are walking after the former conduct of the lust and walking in darkness and living foolishly as a Christian, then you will not be able to fulfill your role as a husband, as a wife, as a boss, an employee, as a parent. Relationship with others. And I know that none of us are perfect. We are perfectly forgiven. I know that all of us are growing. And I know that there is not a perfect marriage but the Lord desires to work in us as he tells us how it is that we can have a healthy, good marriage. You see, he doesn't want us to have a marriage where it's just in maintenance mode or where you're just putting up with each other or whatever, you know. He desires for us to have a godly marriage and a good marriage and a marriage of love and commitment and respect and growing in the Lord together. 
And the wonderful thing about being Christians is when God gives his commandments, then he's going to enable us to do what it is that he's called us to do, right? He's going to give us the power. He's going to give us the direction. He's going to guide us and enable us to live a life after him and for him, pleasing to him. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that a good marriage is a result of a good relationship with Christ. And then one more point, and I promise then we're going to move on. I know that some of you, that you have been through a divorce. And I am very sorry. I really am. I am very sorry for the hurt and the pain that you've gone through. And as we go through this section, I don't want you to feel in any way condemned as we talk about marriage. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And unfortunately, divorce is very much a reality in the church. Matter of fact, I'm sure you probably have read some of the statistics, but some of the statistics coming out tell us that the divorce rate in the church is about the same as those who are not churched. I don't know why. I think there's a number of factors involved in that. But as you think about it, there are mountains of books that are available in the Christian bookstores written on marriage. There are many seminars that are offered there are videos that you can get. There are conferences that are, are offered. There are Mediterranean cruises that you can take on the marriage and all of that. And, and some of it is good and some of it is not so good. But what really fascinates me and interests me is this, that God comes along and in this section, he gives us some very simple instructions and commandments and principles that concern marriage but if we apply them in our lives and grow in these things, that they're very powerful and you're going to have a blessed marriage. You see, remember that marriage is God-ordained. It's not man-ordained. And God gives a definition of marriage there in Genesis chapter 2. You recall that in Genesis chapter 2 is he would bring Eve to Adam. And we know that Jesus, he confirmed that definition of marriage in Matthew chapter 19 when the religious leaders came and they asked Jesus about marriage and divorce and remarriage and all of this. And Jesus would say to them, have you guys not read that he who made them at the beginning, he's taken them back to Genesis chapter 2, made them male and female, and a man shall leave his husband, or a man shall leave his uh, his." father and mother, and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A man that leaves mom and dad and cleaves, that word means to, to cleave to, to be joined to, that you become one flesh. We don't fully understand it, but God declares it. And in that definition, God gives that definition of marriage that is between a male and a female, between a man and a wife, it does not matter what five judges say is the definition of marriage. And as our society and as our court systems and our nation and around the world is saying that marriage can be between two men or two women, that is not God's definition. And when that is said, that it can be between two men or two women, that is in direct defiance and rejection of God's word. And God calls marriage a holy institution 
And Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 said that when a man and a woman come together to be one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And it is God's intention that a husband and a wife stay committed in the marriage covenant and relationship as long as they both shall live. So let's see what God says about marriage, how we can have a blessed marriage, and the responsibilities and roles of the husband and wife in a marriage. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, a couple things that I would like to mention, if you don't mind, ladies. I hope that none of you would think that this is an outdated, male-dominated words from a bygone era. And that Paul the Apostle was just a male chauvinist. He didn't respect or value women. He didn't know anything about marriage because he wasn't married at this point. That was a lecture I got from somebody the last time that I taught on this, this passage a few years ago. That after the service, somebody really just, you know, uh, somebody came along and said, you know, he didn't respect women and, and didn't value. He, he was a male chauvinist and doesn't know anything about marriage. And this is only his opinion. One of the interesting things is, is Paul could have very well been married. And most scholars will tell you that because Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin Council, the Jewish Supreme Court. And we know that when they first formed the Sanhedrin Council, according to some ancient rabbinical writings and, and all of that, that one of the qualifications that, uh, to be on the Sanhedrin Council was that they had to be married. So it's a very good possibility that at one point, Paul was married. Now, what happened to his wife? We don't know. We don't know if even he was married. That's, this is just speculation. And this is just some research that has been done. If Paul was married, what happened to his wife? We don't know if she passed away. Or it could be, it's been suggested, that when Paul converted to Christianity, that maybe his wife left him. But again, we don't know for sure. But here is what I want us to keep in mind. I believe that as we look at Scripture, that Paul had a great appreciation and respect for women. We see that in Romans chapter 16. When he's greeting the saints there at Rome, he lists a number of women. And he says, oh, so-and-so, uh, fellow servant of the Lord. And, and he, he just shows his great appreciation for them and ministry and, and co-laboring with him in ministry. And, of course, there was... Priscilla that, that would minister with Paul uh, with her husband Aquila and they came alongside of Paul and, and Paul very much had great admiration and respect for women that were there in the early church. But here's the most important thing. This is really important. That this is inspired by God as I told you. You know when I teach high school New Testament, Old Testament survey the very first Scripture that I have the students memorize is this, and I would encourage you to memorize it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, all in the Greek means all. doesn't mean some or the parts that I like. 
But all scripture is inspired, or that word means God-breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work. So don't think that, well, the Bible is helpful in so many other areas, but this area, it's wrong. It's outdated. Or we need to fit what culture and society has to say. There is a danger in that. And any of us, if we start to pick and choose what you believe what, to be truth and what is outdated and what is no longer truth, no longer applies to us, you are on a slippery slope. So we're told, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And in this, understand, the scripture was never intended to be used to install fear or humiliation or bondage for women or anyone else. What God is saying in these verses that we will cover is this is how you have a blessed, this is how you have a happy and joyous marriage. The Lord has set up order in the family, in the marriage. And it is a loving father that says this is the plan. The husband, the man is to be the leader in the home, in the marriage, in the family. I'm setting up an order to provide a covering and, and a provision and protection. It is a divine design is what it is. It is the right order. And in this order that God has ordained for the husband to be the head of the wife, understand this, that the Lord is not talking about men being superior to women. He is not talking about that men are better than women. He is not telling us that God loves the man over the woman, not at all. Remember, husband, that you are to submit to Christ. This does not mean at all that your wife, as she is called to submit to you, that she is your slave. And nowhere in the scripture when it talks about headship in the marriage or any other area that it refers to dictatorship. In your home, with your spouse, in the workplace, in the church. It means that you are to serve. It means that you're to be humble before God. And what we're talking about again in wives and your submission to your husbands and the, this headship of the husband, that your submission is out of humility and obedience. And how do I know that? You might want to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And Paul's writing there about headship. And he writes, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. Now, let me ask you something. Was Jesus inferior to the Father? Not at all. But Jesus, in humility and willingly, submitted himself to the Father. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own self, only what my Father's will. He would say that the Father and I are one. He did not consider it to be robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taken on the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2. So too, every person that submits to another chooses to humble themselves. And it is not about being inferior and the man is superior. It means men, husbands, that you have a great 
great responsibility in being the spiritual leader of your home. It means that you are responsible for the direction that your family is going. It means that you're to be humbled, and I'm to be humbled before God in the fear of the Lord. It is a husband and wife that are living under the headship of Jesus our Lord, and as you are, there's going to be harmony in the home. Husband and wives, be praying together in the word of God together, and seeking God's will for your lives together. It does not mean, husbands, that you're self-serving and aggressive and loud and dictatorial. Everything centers around me mentality. And we don't strut around our homes like we're King Tut. And I think that most of us, we know that that we know that we have an awesome responsibility to lead and to protect and to provide, to be a covering for your wife and for your family, to have a lowliness of mind and be gentle. That's a command from chapter 4, remember? Bearing one another in love. And when we see this in the context of what we have read in Ephesians, that we know that we have a great responsibility for the direction and decisions concerning our wives, and our families. And it should cause us, doesn't it, husbands to fall on our knees in humility and say, Lord, help me. I need your wisdom. I need to hear from you. Lord, help me in this area. And men also know this, that your wives hear from the Lord as well. Soon I've been married, as I mentioned to you, 25 years in most of the decisions that we make concerning our family, in our home, we make together. As we pray about it, as we search God's word, we make that decision together. It isn't this back and forth and battle. Don't think that that's the way that God has it designed for you to be in your home. But as you're praying together, seeking God's word, searching God's word, you're going to make a vast majority of your decisions together because you know what God's will is. But there have also been times when Sue has turned to me and said, you're the head of this home, and you are the lead, and you're responsible for what takes place in our family and in our home in the direction that we go. And I can hear her desires. I can talk to her about what the Lord is telling her. But there have been those times where she says, you need to make the decision, and I will respect you, and I'll be submitted to it, whatever it is that you decide. You know what one of those decisions was 20 years ago, about this time, when we were praying about coming up to Greeley to start this thing called Calvary Chapel. That it was Sue and I praying about it, and I was kind of, well, I don't know, and it's a big move, and we had two kids, and the church was growing down there, and we didn't know anybody up here except for John and Becca. And I didn't know anything about starting a church. He said, you know my desire, that we go up and go. But you got to decide. And she encouraged me and she respected me. And the Lord confirmed it in both our hearts and we came up. Do you think it was God's will that we came up 20 years ago? I hope you do. Because I know it was God's will. And it was just worked out in a very beautiful way. In different areas, you know, different times where 
you know, I was called to make the decision when it comes to ed educating our kids. You know, Sue gave me her desire, what she wanted, what the Lord had been speaking to her about it, and the Lord confirmed it in me. So you see, husbands, there is a listening to your wife that she hears from the Lord as well. And to hear her heart, but then you go to the Lord. And the Lord's going to confirm in both of you what it is that he desires for you. And there can be a problem in marriages because husbands don't fully understand that humility is a necessary ingredient for not only submission, but headship as well. The problem is when the husband seeks his own will and has an attitude that is wrong. There will be problems, husbands, if you do that. Everything centers around me. I will do what I want. We're to do what the Lord wants and what is best for your family because you're going to be held accountable to that before the Lord. So it is also a problem when your husband has sought your insight, ladies, and you together have prayed about something, and he has sought the Lord and the Word, and your husband comes to you and says, I really believe that the Lord would have us go in this direction. And you say, no, I won't do that. Another example, when Sue and I were praying about something, when we actually were in the engagement period, and when we were talking about you know, the roles of husbands and wives and praying about it, we were involved in another church, and I said to her, you know, I really believe that the Lord's telling us to go to this little church called Calvary Chapel, that that's where we're really going to grow in God's Word. She didn't want that. She was very involved in her church, loved it, and she was blessed and served in it. And, and she's like, what's this Calvary Chapel thing, you know? It's about 50 people, and, you know, what's this verse-by-verse -verse study and all of this? I said, I really believe that's where the Lord's taken us. And what a tremendous blessing because she said, okay, I trust you that that's where the Lord has taken us. So it is a problem, ladies, when your husband has really sought the Lord and you say, no, I won't do that, and you dig in your heels. You're seeking your own will, and that's prideful as well. So the command to submit to your own husband is as clear as it is difficult. And one more quick point, submit to your own husbands. I think most of the guys know this. It doesn't mean that you submit to other husbands, all right? You submit to your own husband. So guys, don't think that all women are submitted to you. And then verse 24, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Got to make everything real clear these days. Therefore, just as the church, verse 24, we've got to finish quickly, subject to Christ, so let wives be their own husbands in everything. Everything, listen, guys, does not include sinful subjection. To your wife, being submitted to committing sin, stealing dishonest actions, any kind of abuse, none of that. Husbands, the Lord doesn't cause us to sin or submit to evil or that which is wrong. Neither do you in any way. Husbands, we are to provide leadership to your wife the way that Christ does with the church. Not domineering, but cherishing. Not selfish, but serving. Not prideful, but humility. And just as the church submits to Christ, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. And husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. This is so critical, guys. This is very critical. 
It starts with you. But we don't have time to go into it today. So we're going to pick it up next time. You don't want to miss it. So, Father, we thank you for these few verses. And, and Lord, I just pray that there's understanding and clarity and peace as we go over these verses here, knowing that you desire to, to work in our marriages or work in the future marriages that may come about, to work in whatever relationships that we have with others in that there's humility and desiring to walk with you and to please you with our actions in our relationships, in the home, between husbands and wives. So, Lord, help us. And I pray for all the marriages that are here this morning, that they would be strong in Christ, that, Lord, that we would know that you desire to bring godliness in the marriage and peace and love. And I pray for marriages that are struggling. I pray that there be a surrendering both husband and wife to your will and to your ways and knowing that you desire to bring healing, forgiveness, restoration, whatever is needed so that our marriages can be strong. And Lord, I just pray for the communion tables we come now that as we hold the elements that the ultimate sacrifice and definition of love is given by Jesus going to the cross for us, allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. So, Lord, I pray that as we come, that we would just be at all in your incredible love for us and our desire to always be humbled before you, however you work in our lives. Father, I do pray as we come to the communion table that, Lord, if there's anyone here that maybe perhaps listening on live stream or you're here in this place, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, we want to give you the message of salvation. And that is that salvation comes by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have all sinned, and he came and died for you on the cross at Calvary. He was put into a grave, and he rose again, and he is alive. And the way to come for forgiveness of sin and salvation is to surrender your life to him. Recognize your need for the Savior of the world. There's no one else who died for you and rose from the grave. There's nothing else that will save you. It's faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Will you do that if you've never done that? To pray, Jesus, I come now and I put my faith and trust in you, a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me because I know you hung on the cross for my sins and you rose again from the grave and you're alive. Be my personal Lord and Savior and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me and forgiving me and making me a new creature in Christ, having a new beginning in Jesus' name. As the ushers hand out the communion elements, I would ask that you'd hang on to them and we'll partake of them together.
Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And Jesus, his sacrificial death on the cross, Lord, is so incredible, so awesome. So may we sacrificially love one another as husbands and wives and in our homes, even in the church. Just surrender to you. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. Bless everyone here. <clears throat> Lord, I pray you bless our holiday. And Lord, may we walk in love and in light and in wisdom and walk in harmony with others through your help and enablement. Yield it to you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you please stand? If you need any prayer at all for anything... Jim is here to pray with you. That's the ministry that we have for you. Enjoy your weekend. If you get the day off tomorrow, enjoy your day off on this holiday weekend. Remember Wednesday night, join us if you can at 7 o'clock. We'd love to have you. Travis is going to close us in song, and then we're going to be dismissed. My heart is yours. My heart is Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. My heart is yours, my heart is yours. Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. We go all to Jesus. And to Jesus I surrender to you I freely give and I will ever love and trust you in your presence
Awesome Labor Day, you guys. We'll see you real soon.
There's a place where sin and shame 